Please turn with me now in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Luke, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Were those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up this ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it. For eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we would indeed desire that two things would happen. Lord, that we would come to a true knowledge of what this Sabbath day is about. And Lord, that we ourselves would experience liberation. We, excel, or we ourselves would experience this loosing from bondage that you grant on the Sabbath day. We pray, Lord, that you would lead us into understanding of these truths. And Lord, also that we would respond, in fact, in giving glory to God and in rejoicing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we come to this section, this chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. And once more in this this great gospel, we, we encounter warfare between the power of light and the powers of darkness. And it's, it's happened in other settings. And it's, this time it's not among the catacombs or something like that. It's not where the demon-possessed have their dwelling. No, it's on the, the Lord's day, in plain light of day. And it's 
in a synagogue. And do you know the situation? Jesus was, as he seemed always to be doing, to be teaching the people in the synagogue. And a woman comes to be healed by him. Again, something that seems to happen very frequently. There's nothing new here. These things have been happening throughout. Jesus is teaching, and uh, very often he's also healing. And a woman comes to be healed, and Jesus heals her. And the ruler of the synagogue then objects to him healing on the Sabbath. And that's something we've also seen. You perhaps recall in Luke 6. I'll just read from Luke 6, uh, verses 6 to 11. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Imagine that. Filled with rage. Well, we have a very similar situation here with some significant differences. One thing, of course, this time it is a woman rather than a man. We're reminded again of how much notice that Luke in particular takes of women in his gospel, but of course in all the gospels, the great dignity by which Christ treats them. And the other is the language that is being mentioned here. Again, listen as I read in verse 12 in our own text back in chapter 13. Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And then when Jesus refutes them in verse 15, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey? And then mainly in verse 16, ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? It's extremely clear. You can possibly miss the point here. We have someone who is enslaved. We have someone who is under bondage. And she has come to the right man. She has come to Jesus who is the liberator. This is the work that he has. And she has come even on the very day that is set aside for that great work. Now he is opposed by that. He is opposed in his work. Of course he has. There There is great warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so it has been, this very one, Satan, who has bombed, has brought into bondage this woman in the first place, is now active in opposing him, even through the ruler of the synagogue. But they together, indeed, all the demons in hell and every false teacher on earth could not prevent the liberator from doing his work of setting people free, particularly on the day set aside for that work. So the title of this sermon is The Liberator on His Day. The Liberator on His Day. We have four points. First, Satan binds. Second, Christ liberates. Third, false teachers bind the Sabbath. Fourth, Christ liberates the Sabbath. Our first point is that Satan binds. In verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. 
Before we get going too far, just notice once again that Jesus was teaching on the Sabbath. Now, I suppose that that's about the one thing that the ruler of the synagogue didn't mind happening. Of course, that was one of his jobs, is to make sure that there was teaching. He, in essence, was sort of like a ruling elder. Make sure that there's someone to minister the word of God. So he didn't mind that. But I, as some of you might know, as some of you are employed in this work, you might know that teaching is actually a form of work. And right away, it's very clear, it's, it's, it's patently clear that there are some forms of work that are not only permissible on the Sabbath day, but absolutely essential in order to fulfill the purpose of the Sabbath. Otherwise, we just have, a, we just have some, some easy chairs, perhaps some beds, and we'd all gather for some physical rest. That is it. But no, there's one of us actually appointed to do the work of teaching. It's happening right now, and on every Sabbath since the beginning of the world, so it has been. Or so ought to it have been. Now, notice, we'll get back to that, but notice that she had a spirit of infirmity. If we had no other indication there, we'd already have some hint. We might take it as just another way of speaking of an entirely natural illness, but it's interesting the language of a spirit of infirmity. But we have well beyond that, we have absolute confirmation then in the words of Jesus to confirm that it was otherwise than just a purely natural illness. He says in verse 16, So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound. Satan, a demon, the chief of the demons, has bound this woman. These are not idle words. He's not just saying that as a figure of speech. This is the work of the devil. The nature of that work is what? What's the nature of the work that he's done with this woman? She used to walk straight. Now she's bound. It's a a work of bondage. And that's not at all surprising because this is the nature of the work of this great enemy and has been from the very beginning. It's just the sort of thing that Satan always does. He's a cruel dictator. He comes to enslave people. He did so in the garden. These people were absolutely free, completely free. They could eat anything they wanted with one tiny exception. The work was easy and the weather was perfect and they didn't even have to wear clothes. There was no, there was no bondage whatsoever. And then Satan comes and ruins it and puts them in bondage and brings them into slavery in order that he might enslave them. He might be their master instead of God, the good God who made them. Here's what he's doing. And think about also the the great picture of Satan that we have. Who's the one who so typifies Satan in the Old Testament? It's Pharaoh, this cruel dictator. He enslaved the people in the cruel bondage under which you think of that kind of slavery that they were just all day long, they were there making these Breaks never a break, and then he even takes away the, the straw so they have to work even harder. He's trying to kill them in this cruel bondage. This is the work that Satan does, and this is the work that Satan did in this particular woman. She has been bound by Satan. Now, what exactly is the connection, the precise connection between the power of Satan and the fact of this physical infirmity? Well, we, we needn't go into detail. The word of God doesn't make everything absolutely clear, but there's something here beyond the ordinary situation going on because Jesus doesn't describe every disease in those, that terms. He doesn't use those words in every case that he ever encounters. 
But in the larger picture, in the bigger picture, the grand scheme of things, actually the same thing could be said for all disease. Because disease is not natural, it's not a good gift of God. God didn't bring this into the world. Who brought it into the world anyways? Satan did. And his deception then bringing about, of course, God's curse. And in that sense then we could say that all disease stems from the satanic enslavement in the fall. And so if you ever do encounter disease, if you ever come to someone who is enslaved by some horrible sickness, you don't say this is the work of God, you say this is the work of Satan. He's done this. We understand all things happen under the sovereignty of God. We understand that. But as we're looking for someone to blame, we do not blame God. We blame Satan. And you wouldn't be wrong. This is what Satan has done. He binds people. And secondly, Christ liberates. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Notice how alert Christ is to this woman. This woman who's come in. And there's a woman in bondage. It's almost as if this is his job and he's looking for a customer. He's come for this very purpose to set people free. And, it, and, and someone has come and he immediately is there to do this work. Well, th- this is the work. If the work of Satan is to bind people and to bring them into the bondage and darkness. And this is what he's done. And in one way or another, yes, of course, all of it under the sovereignty of God but in one way or another is responsible for every aspect of bondage and disease and death in this whole world. Christ has come to be the liberator. This is exactly why he came into the world. This is the great work that he's been called to. Listen to these prophecies in Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Opening of the prison to those who are bound. He comes and he encounters those who are captive, those who are bound, and he has come there to set them free. Ezekiel thirty four twenty seven, They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord. When, when, how do they know? When is it going to be clear? When I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslave them. That's when it's going to be clear that he's the Lord. And it should have been very clear, isn't it, to all those people, the identity of this one who has come to set them free. Then they will know that I am the Lord who's come to his people when I set them free from those who have enslaved them, those who have brought them into bondage. And he was already doing that great work when she walked in the door on that Sabbath day. He was already doing that work on the Sabbath by teaching these people who are not not at all receiving the life-giving word of God in its purity, but every form of false teaching very clear, isn't it, by the ruler of the synagogue, what sort of teaching that they were ordinarily getting. And it was a mechanism not of, of liberation, but of further enslavement. And he was teaching. He was already setting them free. And now he does this through healing. Well, this is a purpose. This is the reason why Jesus came. Verse John 3, 8. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works 
of the devil. That's why he came into this world, to destroy the works of the devil. He's the liberator. And so then he says, the word of the the creator, the word of the master, the word of this liberator, he says, calls to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. You are loosed. The particular nature of this disease seemed to be some form of, took the form, I guess, of degenerative arthritis in which a spine is fused into some bent position and she was bound up physically, unable to, to stand free and to walk straight. And, and Jesus frees her and says, you are loosed from your infirmity. And immediately he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The powers of darkness and slavery, they, they cannot hold her. Christ, the liberator, touches her and she is freed. She is freed to walk straight. She is freed to glorify God, which is what she was created to do in the first place. For she was captive. Now she can walk straight and she glorifies God. This is the work of the liberator. This is a picture of, of salvation. This is exactly the way he encounters us all. We all come into the door exactly as that woman, someone who has been bound by Satan. And cannot do the thing that we've been created to do. We cannot walk straight. And we cannot glorify God. And Jesus calls to us through his word. Extends his hand through the power of his spirit and touches us. And Satan can't keep us. Satan has no power to keep us in jail and prison and bondage anymore. And we are released And we are able now to walk straight and we are able to glorify God in accordance with God's good design. Christ is the liberator. Well, if indeed this woman had been bound by Satan, but Christ is the liberator, we're not done with the opposition to this yet. Because our third point is that false teachers bind the Sabbath. This very thing that was there as an instrument of liberation, they're seeking to bind it, as well as Christ. Verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue answers with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, there are six days which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. He's got this indignation, huh? What do we think about his reasoning when he says, There are six days in which men ought to work, not this day. You shouldn't, no one should be doing any work on this day. Well, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of the Sabbath. Because, look, if all you knew about the Sabbath, if all you knew, if all you were ever told was a day in which any and all forms of work were to be avoided, it's a day of work avoidance, then this makes sense. But it is completely ignorant. It completely ignores the nature of the Sabbath as God has appointed the, the time, the day that God has appointed for the, for the doing of a certain work. It's the giving of rest, you see. It's not the avoidance of work. It's the giving of rest. And precisely in order that we might have rest, someone's got to do some work for the rest of us. This is the, the nature of the Sabbath day. Now, let's just look at a couple of places, uh, well, just in Deuteronomy, actually. Just, just We'll look in Deuteronomy 5 and see what sort of clues 
that they should have understood about the Sabbath day. It is a day, yes, for giving of rest, and particularly, though, of setting a free from bondage. That's the nature of this day. Deuteronomy 5, 6, I am the Lord your God. This is the preface. This is the preamble. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The language is very, very efficient throughout the whole Decalogue. It's, it's there. It's, it's to be put on these tablets of stone. I, 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 I know that most uh, cartoon-like pictures of the Ten Commandments begin with that first commandment, but I'm, I'm quite confident it actually begins with this preamble. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I think that those are the first words that were written by the, the finger of God on these stone tablets. He's not wasting words. What does he say? I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Out of what? Just so you know, just so you don't mistake what your situation, they're out of the house of bondage because I am the liberator. That is the nature of this law. It is a law of liberation from the God who is the liberator to his liberated people. I brought you out of bondage and I'm bringing you into bondage. And so it is again when he comes to speak particularly of the Sabbath day just so you would never mistake the nature of that Sabbath day in verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The same thing. You see, Satan's always misquoting things, isn't he? He's always taking things out of context, twisting them. This is the very thing that the rulers of the synagogue had said, but he forgot the rest. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And it shall do no work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey. Oh, that's funny. The ox and donkey are going to reappear, aren't they? nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15. Verse 15. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a what? A mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see? It's, it's all about the Lord's work. The Lord's work, he is doing work on that day, and it is a day of liberation. And the Sabbath day is a commemoration of this liberation, a a reminder and an instrument even of that ongoing liberation, of that freedom from bondage. How perverse then, how perverse then to prevent it, to forbid it from being made such an instrument. As I say, God had made this, this teaching clear. It, this is, no, this is not, not hidden in a corner. This is not in some obscure place in a book that nobody reads. This is a tablet of stone. It is written right there. You couldn't possibly study the subject of the Sabbath day without encountering this in the clearest possible way. This man was distorting God's truth. Whether self-consciously or not, it doesn't matter. This is false teaching. You know what that means? It's the work of the devil too. That's what the devil does. He's trying to undermine the means of liberation because he's a slave master. He is the despot. He is the dictator. He's trying to keep everyone under slavery. And so, of course, he's going to undermine everything. He's going to undermine Christ himself. He's going to undermine the day that is given for liberation. What do you think that Satan thinks about the day that is designed as an independence day from him? The day that is designed to destroy his works. What do you think he's going to do with that? 
He's going to undermine it. He's going to twist it. He's going to distort it. And the word of God, the life-giving word of God, which should bring life to all those who hear it and liberation and freedom, what is he going to do with that? He's going to twist it. He's going to distort it. He's going to destroy it. That's what Satan does. This is his means by which he brings people into slavery. This is the means by which he brings them under bondage. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. This is the work of false teaching. Ultimately, the work of the devil himself. And so deluded was this man that he answered with indignation. Sincerity means very little, by the way. People are sincerely wrong all the time. And so this man was. He answered with indignation to the very creator and, and Lord. You know, even as I reflected on this, I'm, a, I'm amazed at the goodness and the forbearance of God that he was not struck down immediately. How can you answer the Lord, the liberator himself, on his very day, doing the very work that he was sent in this world to do with indignation and remain alive to tell the tale? I don't know. So he was. Well, there were not... Just one, there wasn't just one indignant man here, one falsely so. There was another man who was indignant, the God man of this misuse of his day, and so forthly, Christ liberates the Sabbath. Jesus responds to this in verse 15 hypocrite. Hypocrite. Does not each of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. Think of how ashamed he made this man as he considers the example even of animals. You remember very specifically in written, enshrined in that commandment. On the, the fourth commandment is actually the good of animals as well as people. Amazing provision. And so rightly, absolutely rightly, when the animals are are bound, they're in a stall, they can't move, and they need to get to water, for instance, they'll die, or they'll be in very bad condition, then it is right for them to loose them on the Sabbath day and to bring them to water to enable them to live. It is right and good and okay. It is part and parcel of the Sabbath day that that happens And of course, yes, that's a form of work. The farmer leads his his bulls around the the farm. We say somebody's doing work. This was happening on the Sabbath day. Yes, truly. But it was to uphold that purpose as God had specifically defined it. You see, even animals are let loose in order that they might live. Now, if that's the case for mere animals, mere animals... What about this woman? It wasn't just any old woman, was it? Notice what Jesus says. This daughter of Abraham. Again, this great dignity of which he considers this poor, bound up woman. She's a daughter of Abraham. What a a wonderful state is to have. To be the one who is a child of the covenant. An inheritor of those promises. And... Children, I would say particularly, if you're, you're here, you're 
a child of the covenant, aren't you? And, and you should be very thankful for that. You should be very aware of the immense privilege that you have of being a son or daughter of Abraham, whose son or daughter you are, indeed, if you have embraced the, the faith of your parents. That these wonderful covenant promises belong to you, and you will be treated differently, rightly so, all of your life. You have this wonderful status given to you as an inheritor of these covenant promises. Well, do, you, do we really think then that we should accord animals such courtesy that they can be led away for water on the Sabbath day, but a woman who has been bound by Satan for 18 years, we don't dare loose her, we don't liberate her. This is the liberator himself doing exactly what he is called to be done on his very day of liberation to do the great work. You know, if we didn't know that by, in other places, that this is the purpose of the Sabbath, we have, by the way, the Sabbath year. That's a good study just to consider the sabbatical year that happened every seven years and the nature of freedom that happened on the day, or even the day of, of, of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee that happened seven times seven Every 50 years, there's this wonderful cycle of complete freedom from liberation. And that all who are captives, all who had been sold into slavery, all who had lost any form of liberty that, that was around, any form of liberty at all, they were restored to freedom. They were set loose on that day, that year. That is a picture of what Christ comes to do. This world that he made was brought into Slavery to the devil by the fall of man. Yes, of course, he cursed it in his, in his righteousness. Yes, of course, all these things happened in his, 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 his own ordination and his own work of, of sovereign decree. But this is a world that has been brought into slavery and he has appointed times for its liberation. He has appointed days for it. And of course, as we say, Satan doesn't like any part of this, and Satan seeks to destroy the Sabbath day just like he, he seeks to destroy the gospel. But Jesus liberates the Sabbath from that. And brothers and sisters, if we ever, ever think, if it ever comes into our mind that we think, oh no, the Sabbath, you understand that you are listening to the lies of the devil. It's because your mind is being enslaved again. If you ever think to yourself that this is a day of restriction, a day of captivity, rather than a day of freedom and of liberation. Christ has liberated the Sabbath from the hands of these false teachers, these rabbis. And he does not need us now to bring it into some new captivity. Well, this is his day. Luke 6.5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath because he is in charge of it. He is the chief liberator. He is the one who is doing this work, and he knows the way it should be used. Verse 17, when, all these, when he had said all these things, his, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by him. Well, this is the liberator on his day. And by way of application, we think of a few of the many, many applications we could consider. Of course, the first one is that I proclaim this liberty to you. This is a wonderful thing. You have come to the Lord's house on this your day, on this a day of liberation, and, and you can be set free. 
Is anyone burdened? Christ has said, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Has anyone come with a sense of being enslaved? Well, yes, that's what Satan does. He enslaves people. Those who are not believers, you're enslaved entirely. And of course, when you say, I can't, I can't fix myself, I can't be good, I can't obey the word of God, of course you can't. You're in complete slavery to the devil. This is a day of salvation. This is a day of liberation. This is the very day that is appointed for that. And Christ has come to set you free. And in all of us, in all of our besetting sins, don't we from time to time feel like we're enslaved? Doesn't it feel like we haven't entirely been been set free? Well, we know that as long as we live in this world, the old man is still there. We know that we'll be fighting this warfare until the end. The wonderful thing is we don't make it, we don't have to go the the 6,000 days that remain in the, the years that we might have. All we have to do is make it through six days. And then on the seventh, there is this day of liberation again. A day of reminder. A day of grace. A day of strengthening in which we might be particularly made clean. And reminder of the, the gospel, a reminder and a, a renewing of our repentance and of our good and right intentions under the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. Be liberated by Christ the liberator. Secondly, make sure you have a right understanding of the Sabbath. Please don't play into the, the hands of the devil. They're always trying to do that. And of course the world, and not just the world, by the way, the church as a whole has so lost a sense of the Lord's day that we are becoming increasingly strange. Reminded by our brother Kevin Bidwell's lecture on this uh, at, at the conference a year ago or so, and he was pointing out that in America it's, it's quite a, a challenge actually to find a church that even has an evening service. You don't have to work too hard to figure out. Basically, it's just a process of elimination. If any church has an evening service, then that's the one you, you go to. Well, unfortunately, that's more and more the case in this country as well. It's, it's almost taken for granted that if you want to be cool, if you want to be with it, then you get rid of your evening service. It's, it's a correlation between an embrace of this, the new wave of theology and a getting rid of the evening service because there are better things to do with your time. They are playing into the hands of Satan. The work that is to be done is to be done by God's means. And this is the appointment for the means of grace. This is the time, by the way, look, he knows how wrapped up we are in ourselves. He knows how wrapped up we are in our work whether it's outside the home or inside the home, how wrapped up we are in our various other interests. We, of course, have enough time on our hands, don't we, to do various other interests and whatever it might be. And these things actually become, day after day, after six days, we are well and fully enslaved by these things again, aren't we? And Christ has come to give us liberty. And that's what this day is about. It's a day of freedom. It's not a day of Slavery, but we know that Satan has long been trying to poison and subvert every single thing. That's funny what it says in Acts 13.10. 
Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. He's a son of the devil because he's imitating the devil and following him. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? There are straight ways of the Lord, and, and Satan is always perverting them. And that is the, de- the idea of the Sabbath day, being perverted into something. Please don't follow that. How perverse for the Pharisees to turn it into a day of bondage? No. It's a beautiful day. A day of liberation, a day to be embraced like Christ himself. And we understand, don't we, that our attitudes towards his day have everything to do with our attitudes to him. There, there Christ is doing his thing. He is doing his work. And people, they're there to embrace it. They've come to hear him teach. They've come to be healed by him. Of course, it's a picture exactly of what he does for us. And then an agent of Satan comes and says, stop that. Stop that. Stop doing this good work on the Sabbath day. No, we, we come to embrace these good things, to be liberated. Thirdly, I want us to understand that Jesus knows about our problems. Jesus knows. Did you catch, by the way, Christ's accurate and detailed knowledge of the situation of this woman? He, he, he knows it. He didn't first have a conversation, tell me a little bit about yourself. He says, no, this woman has been bound by Satan, so knows what it, what's wrong, knows the agent of that, the reason for it, and knows the precise time. Maybe the woman herself has lost track. It, oh, it's been so long. Is it 17? Is it 19? I, I don't know. But not Jesus. He knows exactly how long it's been. He is perfectly aware of this woman's condition. It's not new information for him. Jesus knows. Beloved, he is not ignorant of our suffering. He is not ignorant of our situation. He knows it intimately. And he knows it with sympathy. You know, that's the thing too. It is not just that he says it in a mechanical word. Actually, no, I believe she was, she's actually been in this condition, I think, for 18 years. Notice the way he puts it. So I'm not this woman. Being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it. See that? He is making a point. Think of that because he's trying to impart some sense of sympathy, which this man clearly lacked, but which he had. He had that sense of sympathy with this woman. Think of it. For 18 years, to be loosed from this bond in the Sabbath. He is not ignorant of our sufferings. And that should be a great comfort to us. Fifthly and finally, we ought to do the very same thing both the woman and the people are doing. Right? They're, they're together in this, by the way, in receiving of these good things. They have come to be set free. They have come to hear the word of God. They have come to be healed of their infirmities. And they're receiving it and they respond the way they should. They don't respond by saying, great, now let me do some work. They're recipients of the, of the work. Re, they receive these things. And the, what they do is they rejoice in these things, and they glorify God. That's, that's what the woman did. What is the, the first question of the catechism? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What happened when the woman was healed? You know, she glorified God. You can too. That's, that's the work that we're, we're, we are created to do, to glorify God. What happened after Jesus refuted the ruler of the synagogue? The crowd rejoiced. 
You can too. And they rejoice specifically in all the glorious things that were done by him. These things are intimately connected, you see. If indeed this is the great work, they're not opposite ends where sometimes you have to think about glorifying God and sometimes you have to think about rejoicing. They're not exactly the same thing, but they're they're intimately connected. And that one thing leads very much to the other. Yes, the ultimate thing is the glory of God. But inasmuch as we rejoice in his glory, inasmuch as we glorify him in our worship, yes, we, of course, are made to be joyful. And so as the recipients, those who have been made, have been set free, we ought to first glorify God and rejoice. But fifthly and finally, we should walk straight. You see, that's the thing that she was created to be. Now, in all this, we understand, we understand completely that the Sabbath is a day of liberation. We don't work for our salvation at all. But isn't it great that the woman who's been bent over, who has been kept down in bondage and cannot do the thing that she's supposed to do, God didn't create us as, as animals. He created us to walk straight. And so she did. Well, this is what God has called us to do as well. Don't go back into that bondage. Don't go back into that darkness of which you've been set free. You've been liberated to walk straight in this world. And by the grace of God, let's do it. Let's pray. Our great and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we embrace Jesus Christ, the liberator, the one who has come indeed to set us free. We adore him, and Lord, we pray never again to listen to false teachers who seek to bind us, to Satan himself, whose great work is the work of a dictator, the work of one who comes to keep us in darkness and slavery. Lord, we pray that his works would be destroyed more and more, and that Christ's church and his work of liberation would be built up more and more. And all these things we pray particularly for a restoration of the Sabbath day and its prominence and place in the hearts and minds of Christian people. Heavenly Father, how we pray that we would embrace this day as you have designed it to be. And that, Lord, we would be liberated. And that, furthermore, we would rejoice, we'd give thanks, and we would glorify God for the good things that you have done for us and for others. And that, having been set free, that we would walk straight in the straight paths of the Lord of righteousness, which you have set before us. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen.